0: It's always good when people come to church and they actually talk like they like the person next to them. So you did really, really good. Uh, My name is Eddie Short. I've been, uh, I was here about uh, two months ago, a friend of Brian's, and don't hold that against me, but uh, there are some real exciting things that are happening at Northwest, and sometimes when you're an insider, when you're a part of that, you don't necessarily feel it week after week, but aren't you glad that God comes to church? And he really wants to speak to you, and there's some excitement in the air. God really does love you, and he wants to speak to you this morning about righteousness and the need that you and I have for righteousness. And let's just uh, take a few moments and just pray and ask God to speak to our hearts right now. Father, thank you that you really do love us and that you care for us, and that you desire for us to passionately pursue you, that you desire to make us righteous as we surrender to you. Thank you for the good things that you have in store for each of us today. And in the days ahead, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, she was four years old, and Ganey simply said a quiet remark to her mom. She said, Mommy, I'm just thirsty. It seems like a normal remark that a four-year-old kid would make to her mother, but about 30 minutes before she said that, she and her mother found themselves on the fifth floor of a nine story apartment building. And then the room started to shake. There was an earthquake, and all of a sudden, the fifth floor crashed down into the basement. And the four floors on top of them came down, entombing them, encasing them. So they had absolutely no way to move. And this four year old girl says, Mommy, I, I need something to drink. But her mother, Susanna, had nothing, she didn't have any juice didn't have any water. As a matter of fact, she too was trapped and, and only above her head was about 14 inches of space and there was a concrete slab there. They were trapped and it was cold. It was in December in the former Soviet Union. She had no idea what she would do to get liquid to her daughter. And her daughter again said, Mommy, I'm so thirsty, give me something to drink. And and it was dark, and it was cold, and and she looked around and and couldn't see anything, but she felt around and she found a jar. And sure enough, it was a 24-ounce jar of blackberry jam. And she gave her daughter that jar, not knowing how long she'd be entombed. Three days went by. The jar quickly went to nothing. And her daughter kept saying, Mommy, I, I need something to drink. Give me something to drink. She had this insatiable desire for liquid. The mom thought, there's nothing I can do. I, I, I don't know what to do. And then she remembered something that she had seen on TV a few months before. It had to do with some explorers that were in the Arctic. And they ran out of liquid. And the one man was literally thirsting, dying of thirst. And one of his fellow explorers decided that he would take his hand, cut his hand, and allow the blood to come out, and he saved the man's life. And that mom that day decided that she would do something drastic. She felt around for something sharp, and she scratched and pierced her finger, and she stuck her finger into the mouth of her four year old daughter. And she did that time and time and time again. Eight days they found themselves entombed. And constantly that mom heard this request Mommy, I'm thirsty! Mommy, give me more blood. I need I need something. She had a passion. She was dying of thirst. She knew what she needed. And I ask you this morning, do you have that kind of passion to really pursue God? Do you have that kind of passion to really pursue his righteousness? God wants to do something amazing in your life, and the only individual that can get in the way of that is you. I wonder this morning how your passion level is in pursuing who God is and wanting to have righteousness in your life. Jesus talked a lot about the heart. As a matter of fact, 24 times he talks about the heart and the passions of the heart and he in essence says, I am the only one that can fulfill your heart. I am the only one who can give you ultimate satisfaction If you'd pull out your message handout and follow along with me this morning, as we look about what are you going to do about your thirst. Number one in your notes simply is this. Everybody has a hungry and thirsty heart. Everybody in this room has a hungry and thirsty heart. If you'd look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 are commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's Jesus' longest discourse that we have recorded in the Word of God. And what he's doing is he's raising the bar in regards to what righteousness truly is. And in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, this is what he says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. The word blessed is a very interesting word we tend to use in our culture, but I'm afraid that we misunderstand what it really means. Being blessed is not the idea of being happy. Being blessed simply is the idea of being content because you have a satisfied heart. And so Jesus is saying, if you want contentment in your life, if you want satisfaction in your life, you've got to pursue me and you've got the desire for righteousness to be in your life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Who have this insatiable desire, this unquenching desire to find righteousness not so that we can look good, It's not the idea of doing certain things and not doing other things. It's the idea of I pursue God so that he does amazing things in my life. I wonder, in the last month, have you seen God do amazing things in your life? It's so easy to quote-unquote do church, isn't it? It's so easy to just simply get into the mindset of studying the word of God because, after all, we're supposed to. But I wonder if you're driven passionately to know the God of the Bible. If you're like me, you're probably a tad bit too busy. You're probably an individual who gets sidetracked from time to time. I have the distinct ability to get sidetracked moving from the kitchen in my home to the office. I'll think of something in the kitchen as I'm sitting at the kitchen table, go to my office, and by the time I get there, I cannot remember why I have gone to the office. Anybody else been in that camp? It seems to happen. And you're thinking, wow, what happens? But the very same thing happens in my spiritual walk. Then I begin to stop passionately pursuing God. I begin to stop desiring for his righteousness to be in my life. And I'm going to encourage you today to begin to really understand what it means to passionately pursue him. To begin to really understand what it means to passionately pursue his righteousness you might remember the third king of israel it's saul and david and then solomon comes along early on in solomon's career as the king of israel he pursues god and god says to him they have this unique relationship and god says ask me for anything and i will give it to you you might remember what he said he said well god if i'm going to lead this nation of yours i'm going to need true wisdom so give me wisdom And he starts out in a very unique relationship with God. But somehow or another, he gets sidetracked. As you look through the scriptures, you see, for instance, in 1 Kings chapter 3, it says Solomon showed his love for the Lord. That sounds really good, doesn't it? He showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and he burned incense in high places. He began to get into idol worship. And then in in that very same chapter, it talks about the fact that he gets sidetracked and does things that God said, never should you do. He followed after God, and then it says, nevertheless. He decided, he came up with a plan. He comes up with a plan, and he marries 700 women, and he has 300 concubines. Nothing wrong with women, but he has a 1,000 women that, that are consuming his interest, and they become his passion. It tells us in the word of God that at that point he was not fully devoted to the Lord. And I wonder if you'd have to analyze the last 30 days in your life, if it really could be said about you, that you have been consumed with knowing God, with passionately understanding who he really is and allowing his righteousness to flow into your life. Solomon wrote a journal called Ecclesiastes, and in that book we begin to see the downward spiral that he takes For instance, it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 that he begins to pursue pleasure. And then it says he began to pursue foolishness. And then it says he denied himself nothing. And then the end result of that, it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 17, So I hated life. I hated life. I thought I could find satisfaction, but that was the last thing that I was really finding. Then perhaps... The ultimate statement about his life, he says, my life is like chasing after the wind. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 2, everything was meaningless. Everything is meaningless. He went on a voyage to find fulfillment, but he couldn't find it. Now with that in mind, look back at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. Here's what it says. Blessed or content or satisfied are those who hunger and thirst, who are driven to pursue righteousness, for they will be filled. They will be filled. The word filled is a very interesting word. It has the idea that they will be incredibly satisfied. It's a word that was used when farmers of the day would feed their animals to the point that they would be Satisfied. It's the very same word that's used in Matthew chapter 14, where Jesus feeds the 5,000, and it says they were all filled, they were all satisfied. You and I, if we're truly going to find real satisfaction in life, we'll need to pursue God, and we'll need to seek his righteousness for our lives. I wonder what it is that you and I tend to pursue to find righteousness. That concept of being filled it reminds me of Thanksgiving Day at my house. I don't know what your home looks like on Thanksgiving Day, but at my home on Thanksgiving Day, it's all about two things, food and football. Food always comes first, and then it comes second, third, and then the game is there, and fourth and fifth is food again. You just eat and you eat and you eat and you eat until you are stuffed and you are so satisfied. That's what God is saying to you. Are you hungering and thirsting after righteousness because if you want your heart to be satisfied you need to search after him you see your responsibility is simply to seek after him and his righteousness his responsibility is to satisfy the thirst of your heart it says in psalm chapter 107 verse 9 this it says for he god satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things second note in your your message handout this morning is very, very important. Here's what it is. Number two. It's easy to attempt to fill your heart your way. It's easy to attempt to fill your heart your way. Open your copy of the scriptures to first Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. In first Peter chapter one, the Apostle Peter is talking about now that you have a relationship with Jesus, understand that you are called to live holy lives. He's not talking about trying more. He's talking about surrendering over to God, recognizing that he is the master, that you and I are simply followers. And it says this, beginning with verse 14. It says, As obedient children, as Christ followers, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. You have been changed. But just as he who called you is holy... So be holy, are righteous, in all that you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Now check out the next three verses, verse 17 through 19. He says this, Since you call on the Father who judges each man's work, impartially live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. He's saying, recognize that this is just a temporary place. Have reverent fear, be awestruck with who God really is. Then he says in verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, that you were purchased from the empty way of life that was handed down to you from your forefathers, the empty way of life. Solomon pursued the empty way of life. He decided he would do it your way. I have a tendency to pursue the empty way of life. God taps me on the shoulder as he taps you on the shoulder and he says, pursue me pursue me so that you can know who i am pursue me get to know me the empty way of life can best be illustrated it was a word that was used to demonstrate a cupboard that was empty there was nothing in there no food source at all you'd open up the cabinet nothing in there it's an empty way of life and yet on the outside of that cupboard it says if you want to find good food open these doors the empty way of life. The empty way of life says, come this way, you'll find true satisfaction. Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, that is not what you were to do. You and I have got to understand, in order to find righteousness, we need to pursue God. And to know him, and to love him. Down throughout all the ages, both in the Older Testament and the New Testament, we see people that constantly stopped, passionately pursuing God. Go to the Old Testament, and look at Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2, Jeremiah chapter 2, God is speaking through Jeremiah the prophet to the children of Israel, and this is what it says, Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, my people have committed two sins, notice what they've done, they have number one forsaken me, they no longer passionately pursue God. They've forsaken me, and I am the spring of living water. I could quench their thirst, but they no longer come to me. They have forsaken me. Notice number two. It says, and they have dug for themselves their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold any water. A cistern was not simply a well. What it was was a pit that would be dug out into the ground. It would have clay that would be placed upon it, but through the sun of the day, it would crack the clay. So when water would accumulate in that, it would stay just for a period of time, but it would eventually go down through the crack. There was no real liquid nourishment that could be found from a broken cistern. Jeremiah is saying this. He's saying, understand that you will be tempted to dig cisterns for yourself, figuring out that that will be the way that you will find true life satisfaction. God says, I am the spring of living water. I can give you life satisfaction. I can take care of you. As you look through the Psalms, you find that the psalmist constantly talks about passionately pursuing God. For instance, in Psalm chapter 42, and verse 2, it says this. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Now, can we just be honest this morning? This morning, you woke up. Five o'clock, six o'clock. 7 o'clock, some of you honestly woke up at 9.20. We know, but we're not going to point you out. You, You woke up and you thought, wow, I can hardly wait to go and worship God because today he's going to say something to me. I got to tell you, I woke up this morning and what I was thinking about was thinking about me. I wasn't thinking about you. I wasn't thinking about God. I was thinking about me. That's what we tend to do. I wonder when you come to worship corporately, if you come expecting to meet God, that he's going to do something amazing in your life. Or I wonder as you listen to the message, if you're thinking, hey, the person next to me really needs to hear this today. God wants to speak to you today about passionately pursuing him, about really getting to know him, and about experiencing his righteousness David says in Psalm 63 in verse 1, he says, Oh God, you are my God, so earnestly I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you, as if I were in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David understood that the only way that he would find life satisfaction is to constantly be going before God and saying, God, you are the place where I can have my deep inside needs, those thirsts of my heart. I can find real satisfaction. Number three in a note says this. There's only one way to ultimately satisfy your heart. There's only one way to ultimately satisfy your heart. You need to understand a couple of things. The first one is this. Letter A. You need to understand who you are that you bring nothing to the table. That you bring nothing to the table. You cannot find satisfaction on your own. You cannot find a relationship with God on your own. You cannot find true righteousness on your own. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. Again, part of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. It says this. Blessed or satisfied and content are those who are poor in spirit. Poor in spirit interesting phrase. You see, during Jesus' day, if you were poor, those around you, and the word poor had the idea of not simply not having much, but having nothing. If you didn't have anything, if you were struggling to get by the next hour, materially you had nothing to offer, you were viewed by others around you as being totally unrighteous, because if you were righteous, God would be making you wealthy. And so Jesus takes that concept and he says, let me turn that around for you. Blessed or satisfied are those who recognize they bring nothing to the table spiritually. That on their own, they cannot find true life satisfaction. So why would he say that? He said that because of what he concludes in the next next section. He says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's saying this to you and to me. He's saying, when you and I realize... That you cannot find life satisfaction on your own. That you don't have enough righteousness to have a relationship with God on your own. You get to the point where you recognize, I need God to work in my life. And the kingdom of heaven is the idea that I recognize that he is the Lord of my life, the master of my life, the king of my life, and I submit to him. And when I do that, I'm blessed. I find true internal satisfaction. You and I bring absolutely nothing to the table in regards to righteousness. And that, my friends, is a good thing. Because then we recognize who he is and we recognize what he's done for us. I don't know about you, but I came to know Christ in 1973. It seems like a long, long time ago. And I'm sure there have been moments in my life where I'm thinking, you know what, I'm okay now. God reminds me, apart from him working in my life, I bring nothing to the table. You and I, we bring nothing to the table, and we need to passionately pursue Him because we recognize who He is and what He's done for us. We wake up in the morning and we ought to say, "God, thank you, thank you that You love me, that You You want me to fellowship with You." You see, not only do we, you and I, bring nothing to the table, but the next point is true also. In letter B it says, "Remind yourself who Jesus really is." That he brings everything to the table. Remind yourself who Jesus really is. That he brings everything to the table. John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 32 and following. The context is this. There's been the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus had been ministering to people and they want to follow after him because of what they were getting. He's providing their needs. He's meeting the needs of their lives. And then Jesus sends the disciples across the Sea of Galilee... And he stays back to pray, but then he goes and he walks upon the water. And he gets over to the city of Capernaum, and the individuals who had been following him, they recognize that's where he is, and they want to they find him, and so they pursue him. Then he says something rather unique. John chapter 6 and verse 32. Look at it with me. John chapter 6 and verse 32. He says, I tell you the truth. time he starts a discourse... And he says, I tell you the truth. He's saying, pay attention. This is incredibly true. This is true truth. I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you true bread from heaven. Because they had just said to him, show us a sign. And he had already shown them sign after sign after sign. He had fed 5,000 men, 5,000 women, probably 10,000 kids. And they're still saying, are you really God? Notice what he says next. Verse 33 says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's saying, I am the bread. I am the one who can satisfy your deep internal needs. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will no longer never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty but as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. He's saying, I will satisfy every need that you have. I will meet the inside needs that you have. I will set the path for you. Jesus said, a very familiar verse in John chapter 10, and verse 10, he says, I've come that you might have what? That you might have life and that you might have it to the full. He says, I want to satisfy you. And yet we tend to get, sidetracked don't we we tend to get sidetracked and we find ourselves on the path that's not the path that god has for us carol and i love to go hiking from time to time and we spent some time in nevada at the canyon called the red rock canyon perhaps you've been there and we pulled up there, and we were all excited about going hiking here. And it's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and we begin to hike down a trail. We decided we would take the two-and-a-half-mile trail, and we're hiking along, and everything is fine and dandy, and we have our water, so there's not a worry at all. All of a sudden, we're looking around and going, you know, I don't know where the path went. I can't seem to figure this out. I said, honey, do you have the, uh, the little trail map? Uh, I thought you had it uh, nope I don't have it either and we looked around and we thought you know what we are lost no problem though because it's about 5 30 we can easily find our way out of the desert it's not going to be a big deal and we began to walk and we walked and we walked and we walked faster and it starts to get darker and darker and darker and I don't know about you but I hate snakes And God, in his sovereignty and wisdom, developed a snake called a rattlesnake. And we're walking along, and all of a sudden I hear that shh. I'm thinking, hmm, what is that? (laughs) Now typically when we go hiking, we always take the dog. Because we think we can buy a new dog. Let the snake get the dog. (laughs) We don't have a dog, we have us, so I make Carol go first, figuring this (laughs) My wife Carol is here with us this morning. We're walking through this, and we realize that we are off the beaten path, and we have no clue where we're going, and we are just praying we can find a road. You see, that's what you and I tend to do. We get off the beaten path. Solomon got off the beaten path, the path that he knew that he said this. Solomon said this in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 19. He says, listen, my son, and be wise. And keep your heart on the right path. Incredible truth. And yet Solomon, who under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote that, violated it time after time after time after time. You see, it's not simply knowing the truth. It's obeying the truth. It's getting plugged into the word of God. It's listening to the Holy Spirit who's your guide, your counselor, and your teacher. It's relying upon him because he and he alone wants to satisfy you. But we chase after this, and we chase after that, and we chase after this, thinking that somehow it will give us peace and satisfaction, and it doesn't. So what do you and I need to do? Let us see in your notes. You and I simply need to develop a plan. A plan to have your heart satisfied. A plan to have your heart satisfied. There are at least two components to that plan. Number one is this. Get into the Word of God, and let the Word of God get into you. Get into the Word of God, and let the Word of God get into you you. Colossians chapter three is a very interesting chapter. Colossians chapter three in verse one and verse two, he says, set your hearts on things above, set your minds on things above, set your will, your emotions, your thinking patterns on things above. And then he says, for you were chosen by God and therefore you are holy. He has made you holy. He looks upon you and he says, I will give you the ability to live a holy and righteous life. Then he says in verse 16 something that you and I really need to hear today. He says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Dwell in you richly. It's not simply knowing the word of God. It's knowing, living, applying, thinking, meditating, sharing principles from the word of God. Let the word of God get into you and transform your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you touch and admonish, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Very interesting phrase. With gratitude in your hearts to God. See, when you and I realize how unrighteous we are on our own and when we follow after him and we listen to him, when we obey him, he radically transforms our lives. There'll be gratitude in your heart. Your heart will cry out in love for him. Love and adoration and worship. I I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed our worship time this morning. It's great to get together as a body of believers and worship him. But I'll tell you, worship is not simply about music and words. It's about your heart. It's about falling before him and reflecting on what he's done for you and done for me and thanking him because he has done some radical things in our lives. We need to know the Word of God and live the Word of God, allow it to transform us. But the second concept is just as important. Here it is, letter number two in your notes. Make the rule of your life. Make the rule of your life to think and act like Jesus would think and act. Make the rule of your life to think and act like Jesus would think and act. Verse 16 of Colossians chapter 3 said, get into the Word of God and allow it to transform your life. Verse 17, it says this, and whatever you do, Whether in word or deed, in words or actions or attitudes, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all in the name of Jesus. Do what he would do if he were in your shoes. Why? Because he's transformed you. Because you've gotten into the word of God. You've allowed the Spirit to apply it to your life. Every day, you and I have an opportunity to demonstrate righteousness. As you're in relationship with others, those at work, as you're in relationship with those in your home, in your neighborhood, as you're filling out your taxes, as you're doing this, as you're doing that, he says, do what Jesus would do. Live your life in such a way that at the end of the day, you find true, significant satisfaction. Pursue him. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 says this, blessed are those Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Satisfied are those who pursue him. For they will be filled. They'll be stuffed. Their lives will be transformed. You want to transform life? Passionately pursue God. Passionately pursue the word of God. Let the word of God get into you. Not just simply you can know the book, but you can know the God of the book. Allow him to change you. So what's the one desire of your life? What is the one overriding desire that you have? Is it to passionately pursue him and his righteousness? Or is it to try to find satisfaction some other way?